I remember when I, I first came to Eastland, I was way away from the Lord. I had been saved when I was seven years old, and, uh, but I just never got grounded. And so when the uh, temptations of the world hit me in my high school, college age years, mostly college age years, uh, I wasn't able to handle it. And so uh, I gave in to a lot of those temptations. And then God gave me the job I kind of wanted up here in the Tulsa area. And so I moved up here, stumbled upon Eastland kind of. Uh, by accident, I'd been going to Southern Baptist churches when I was in Oklahoma City, and so came up here. Uh, Brother Dye actually came by my house. He had a bus route uh, along my block, gave me a track, and I thought, ah, Baptist, okay, I'll go to that. And so I came, started coming, and uh, you know, made a few friends there in the college class, and they invited me to go to snow camp. And I'll never forget going to snow camp that year and having a blast, but then as I was coming back on the bus, I'll never forget my mind processing it all and thinking about how much fun I just had, but I had no guilt, no shame, because everything we had done had been more of a righteous manner, and it was just good Christian people having good time together, learning from the Word of God, and trying to be a blessing to one another. And I just remember as I was coming back, I said, I want what these people have. And so when I got back, then I started listening to Brother Hardy as he preached and found out, hey, he did have something to say. And, uh, and so God began to do a work in my life. And about a year and a half later, I uh, got called to preach and uh, started all over in schooling, went up to Baptist Bible College where I met my wife, Heather, and uh, came back to Eastland and did a three-year internship. And as Brother uh, Pastor Darrell said, you know, uh, we met during that time. They had just started to come. And, uh, you know, God just knit our hearts together, and I love this couple so very, very much. We consider them dear, dear friends. But it's great to be with you, and I'm hoping that we'll have time to get around to many of you who we know so well and spend a little bit of time uh, together and just kind of reminisce and see what's going on in each other's lives. But I know we've got a lot going on here tonight, and so I'm going to dive right into this. But Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 and verse 32 it just says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And the one flesh is really what I'm going to be speaking on on the four sessions uh, this weekend, Lord willing. And he goes on in the verse 32 and it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why don't we just go ahead and open up in prayer. Dearly Father, we are so grateful for your goodness to us. We're grateful for your word, and we would just ask, Lord, that you would take it this evening and that, Lord, that you would apply it to our lives. And, Lord, we are so thankful for the uh, marriages that we have. And, Lord, whether we're going through a difficult period in that marriage, whether we're going through one of the happiest periods of our, our marriage, your word always has things that it can help us with. And so I just ask, Lord, that you would take, help us to take these truths that we will consider, apply them to our life so that this relationship with our spouse can be all that you desire it to be. And Lord, if uh, we will do that, we will certainly give you all the praise and glory for our, the benefits that we receive from it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, for this particular series, what I'd like to do is kind of take Paul's uh, example in, uh, as, in teaching. You know, when Paul would write a letter uh, to the different churches, he would almost always start off with doctrine and then he would move into direct application. And so he would say, look, this is the doctrine of whatever, you know, as far as what God's done in your life, this is who you are now in Christ. And then he said, and because of that, now you can apply it to these areas of your life. And so that's what I really want to do. So this first section is mostly going to be doctrine. And it's going to be, and I know doctrine can sometimes be dry and things of that nature, but we need to understand the doctrine of it, this idea of one flesh, before we can really get into the application of it. And so if you'll bear with me, it'll be the shortest session. So that's always a blessing too, you know, 
know, everybody likes the short, short sessions. But, you know, God's design for marriage is simple. A man and a woman are to become one. Now, they leave their fathers and mothers and they become united together. And when the scriptures say they will become one flesh, it certainly is a reference to sex, but it is referring to much more than just that action. You know, it means that these two entities are to begin to act as one. They are to be in harmony with one another. And it's interesting that as Paul was writing about the dynamics of marriage, he was really trying to help the believers in Ephesus to understand the true relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. You know, believers during Paul's day and age would have had been completely ignorant of this particular relationship. Now, we're not today because we're on the backside of the fullness of the scriptures. But at this particular time, all of this was just beginning to be revealed unto them. And so the concept of church was something brand new to them. And it was really a mystery, as he calls it here in verse 32. But Paul's teachings revealed that God's plan was to unite his son with his people in a miraculous way so that they would become one. You know, he would indwell them with his own spirit, whereby they, as the body, would be able to fulfill the commands of their head, Jesus Christ. And these two entities, who used to be separate, in fact, who used to be at enmity with one another, were now miraculously brought together to become one. Marriage was, and it still is, to be a microcosm of that great and grand doctrine. You know, the relationship between a husband and a wife is to kind of be an object lesson on the relationship between Christ and the church. And so the earthly oneness that takes place between a husband and a wife is to epitomize the spiritual oneness that is to take place between Christ and his church. And so as we begin this marriage conference, I want to direct our attention at three ways these two relationships are to mirror one another. The first is this, both of those relationships are works of God. You know, God was the one who, who created man, and then he said there at that time, it is not good that he be alone. You know, therefore he made a help meet for him who was called woman. Now the term help meet refers to one who was perfectly suited for the other. I mean, whether you acknowledge that today or not, the truth is, is that a woman was perfectly suited for the man. Everything that he was lacking, she has. And so it was this perfect gift that God gave man on that particular day and continues to give to men today. And so therefore, God created the pair. He placed them together, thereby instituting the relationship referred to as marriage. And every couple in this room probably has unique stories about how they met and how they ended up getting married. But one thing every couple has in common is that it was a work of God. Even if you didn't know God at the time, he knew you and he was working in your life. You know, I love when you're reading the book of Ruth and, you know, it says in her hap, was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. You know, her hap was. In other words, it just so happened that she lit in the field of Boaz. You know, here she was. There was all these fields that were in that area, and she just happens to end up in the field of Boaz, who later would become her husband. You know, Heather and I, you know, when we first met, we had no intentions of dating. We, hadn't, we really barely even knew each other. We knew each other's names, and that was about it. 
But our two uh, roommates, uh, they ended up liking each other. And so when we were at Bible college, you had to have chaperones. And so we began to chaperone our two roommates. They would beg us to go along and, you know, which was like the worst, you know, and sitting there watching them make Google eyes at each other while you're sitting there going, please, you know, but I, I just ate. And, and so, you know, so you'd have to go along with them and put up with all this. And, and it was funny because at the time we would kind of, I don't want to say put up with each other, but we were more just kind of like cordial to one another. And then as they continued to ask us to come along with them, we got to know each other a little bit better and we became friends. And so we became friends far beyond the time that we actually started looking at each other more of in a romantic type of relationship that would end up in marriage. And so we would have never dreamed about having this relationship, but God certainly did, and He made certain that we were put together. You know, we know that every marriage is a work of God because of Jesus' condemnation concerning divorce. You know, He said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 9, What therefore God hath joined together let not man put asunder. And so that comment was not made concerning just the marriages of godly believers. This was a blanket statement he made on all marriages between a man and a woman. And so whether or not a couple uh, desires for their marriage to please God, God recognizes the validity of that marriage. And likewise, the relationship between Christ and his church is a work of God. You know, the church is not a man-made entity. It, it, it is a divinely created organism. You know, Jesus was the one who said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He didn't say, this is what you guys are going to build the church on. He says, I'm going to build this church. And so like a fisherman who pulls in a net, it is God who draws men, women, boys, and girls to himself. As the scripture says, it is the Lord who added to the church daily as should be saved, and he continues that work today. And so as works of God, we ought to see the great value that is there. You know, we argue that murder should not be committed because every person is born in the image of God. Each person is a work of God and therefore has intrinsic value just because that person is a work of the Almighty. Well, our marriages and our churches are no different. You know, they ought to be protected and they ought to be cherished because they have great value solely because they are a work of the Almighty. And so when you look at your marriage, you need to recognize how precious this is because this is something that God put together. God joined you together. And, and so therefore, just because it is His work, you ought to recognize there's something very special about it. We could say it is sacred. And it's the same way with the church. You know, this body of believers, there is a sacredness to it. And I know that most of the people I've been around at Eastland recognizes how special this group is. But it's not just special because you get along so well. It's special because you are a work of God. And God has brought you together for this purpose at this particular time. Now, the second way these two relationships mirror one another is that they are both incredibly intimate by nature. You know, the whole idea of spouses becoming one screams intimacy. You know, since intimacy means togetherness or closeness or familiarity, you aren't going to get much more intimate than when you become one. You know, the intimacy between spouses should both provide greater fulfillment within the relationship 
and also greater productivity in their efforts. You know, in order for this to take place, though, the intimacy between spouses should be experienced in the physical, in the emotional, and also in the spiritual realms. You know, it's, it's for this very reason that God commands believers not to marry unbelievers. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15 definitely address more than marriage, but it is certainly including that particular relationship when Paul wrote, "...be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers." For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? So what's Paul saying there? Well, you can't have in intimacy with someone who is nothing like you. You can be intimate with an unbelieving spouse on a physical level and an emotional level to a degree, but you're never going to be intimate with them on a spiritual level. You know, you can't obtain closeness, togetherness, or familiarity when one spouse is spiritually alive and the other one is actually spiritually dead. It just cannot take place. Well, likewise, the relationship that Christ has with His church is also to be an intimate one. You know, forgive me if I'm wrong, but when He indwells us with His Spirit, I would say that's getting pretty intimate. You know, if somebody's in you, that's pretty intimate. You know, we talk about that special bond that a mother has with a child. Why is that? Why is that bond greater than the bond between a father and his child? Because the child was in her. You don't get any more intimate than that. Well, the Holy Spirit is in us. God's Spirit is in us. The Spirit of Jesus Christ indwells us. That's called intimacy. And He knows and He understands everything there is about us. And by giving us His Spirit, He wants us to know and understand all about Him. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of me. And so the Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ in our life. In other words, as we read the Scriptures and we see the revelation that is given to us, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand more and more about our Savior. And, and so He's creating intimacy there within us. Speaking again of the coming of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 and verse 20, Jesus said, At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Now, I can remember the first time I read through the Scriptures, that was one of the most confusing, blasted verses I've ever read in my life. I was like, wait a second. You know, I, I'm kind of a linear thinker. I'm a very simple thinker. Let's just be honest about it. I, I'm not much of a thinker of all now that I think about it. But, you know, the fact is, is, you know, when he said, I, he said, I am in my Father, and then ye in me, and then I in you. You know, I'm thinking of like, you know, boxes. You know, this one goes here, this one. But when he goes, okay, I, you're in me, and I'm in you. And I'm like, okay, now I don't know how to do that with the box. But really what he's saying is, we're all one. He's saying we're all one. We're making our say because we are going to make it where we are all one. This is the relationship that we are going to have. And, and so we see here that, you know, it is a work of God and it's a very intimate relationship. But then the third way that these two relationships mirror one another is that both of them are to be permanent. You know, the word cleave literally means to adhere like glue. 
Not the glue that you used to use in grade school, you know, that could barely keep two pieces of paper together. You know, we're talking about the super glue or the gorilla glue that is nigh impossible to break apart. And I'll never forget when uh, I was in high school, uh, back in those days, you still had shop classes if you wanted to have them. And so I went into the cabinet uh, making shop class. And so uh, our, ca our, our teacher would always tell us, you know, when you're making like a, a bookcase or if we were making a table or something like that, that kind of had some expanse to it. He would have us rip the uh, boards down to about four inch boards and then he would crisscross them where the uh, grain would go opposite directions and then we would glue all these boards down depending upon the width of the, uh, uh, of the article that we were making. And then after we glued it down, we'd send it through a planer and then we'd get it all nice and smooth and planed down. And just to show us the strength that was there after you'd created this, he, would he took one of them and he just started smashing it over one of our hard metal tables and he finally got the wood to break apart. But it was interesting, it didn't break where the seam of the glue was. It broke right down the grain. Where it had been glued together was actually stronger than it was in its natural state. And can I tell you, that's the way our marriages ought to be. We ought to be stronger as a married couple than we ever were in our natural state. You know, God never intended for any marriage to end in divorce. Oh, He in certain situations got allowed for divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts, but that was never His original intent. You know, in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16, he expresses his real feelings concerning divorce. He said, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away or divorce. You know, one of the major reasons why God loathes divorce is because it destroys the type that marriage is supposed to represent, which again is the relationship between Christ and the church. You know, when we receive God's gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, you know, we are born again, and we are given eternal life. You know, we, we are made one with Christ for all eternity. He, he doesn't put us away when we mess up. He, he doesn't cast us aside when we blow it. He shows us grace and seeks to help us to find victory over those things that would be a detriment to our own lives and also in the relationship that we have with Him. You know, as the church, we revel in those wonderful words in Romans chapter 8 and verse 39, 38 and 39, which state, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, this is the bond that we have with Jesus Christ, one that will never, ever be broken. I'm always amazed at those that feel like you can lose your salvation. I'm like, how can you lose something that, by doing something when you didn't gain it that way? It was given to you by grace. It was a gift. You know, you didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. I, we couldn't have earned it. And yet, how could we lose it in return? It's not very eternal if you can lose it. But Christ said, I give you eternal life to all those who believe. And so we under, need to understand that this is the bond that we have with Christ, and this is also to be the bond that we have with our spouse. The only thing that should ever separate spouses is death. That's what most of us said there on our wedding night, till death do us part, and that's the way it ought to be. And so the relationship between spouses 
should be deeply treasured because it is an incredible work of God that takes two people and makes them permanently one. Other than our relationship with Christ, it should give us more fulfillment and be a greater blessing to us and to others than any other relationship we have. That means greater than the relationship we have with our parents and also greater than the relationship that we have with our children. You know, this oneness is really what I want to focus our attention upon this weekend. You know, how can we nourish this oneness? How can we make use of this oneness? And how can we preserve this oneness? And Lord willing, these are the things that we'll be looking at in the sessions to come. Brother? Thanks, Brother Brent. The uh, text, Brother Brent, mentioned tonight, of course, the Ephesians, is echoed other places of the Bible, the book of Psalms. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, you know, it talks about the Bible, the Lord puts together to become one flesh. And it's interesting that the way he did that is he said, by the husband and wife cleaving together. You know, the world uh, tells us that what makes a marriage work is compatibility. And... Uh, <laughs> Men and women generally are not compatible. They are so different. Uh, we are very different creatures. Um, the number one reason for divorce in the world is lack of compatibility. Sometimes in the Christian world, we talk only about commitment. And commitment, commitment is a wonderful thing, uh, but by itself, all it will do is keep you together, um, but not necessarily happy or fulfilled. What the Bible says a marriage is about is being close, one flesh, being intimate together. And I know Brother Brent's going to talk about this. And here's what I want you to think about as you sit here tonight is are you close to your spouse? Do you feel that way? Um, you know, God wants us to be close with him, to feel connected, uh, to have that intimacy, to have that relationship. And... A good marriage isn't just about do's and don'ts and rules. A relationship is something that is really unique and very special. And it occurs as you spend time together, you are vulnerable, you are open, you are honest. And I'm sure Brother Brent's going to talk about There's a lot of things that create closeness. And so I want us to think about that tonight. Are we close? Um, and if not, how, how can we begin to close the gap on that a little bit during our time together? I, I, I hope we leave tomorrow afternoon endeavoring and working to be as close, by that I mean as intimate, relationally connected to our spouse as we possibly can.